mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com guys welcome back to marriage or martinis i'm adam and here's not danielle unfortunately she's not here don't worry she's here for the interview with miriam but she is down in atlanta at the she podcast conference which is really cool it's a brand new thing i think it's the first time they're doing this it's a conference for women on starting or growing a podcast and danielle was a speaker there which is totally incredible and from what i hear she nailed it she spoke about growing your Instagram community. And if you haven't heard the episode that she actually did on the Marriage Martinis podcast, check that out. I think it was called Growing Your Instagram Community back in February 2019. So check that out. And I hope this thing comes live so we can stream it, we can watch it. But if it does, hopefully soon, we'll link it up everywhere so you can watch Danielle give this presentation. And just have to say, I'm really proud of you. This was a big deal. So we spoke with Miriam Kermeyer. She's an expert on young adult and adult friendships, which I think relates to our podcast very well because Danielle and I are always talking about adult friendships and what her friends mean to her and what she gets out of it versus me and my friends and what I get out of it. And we talk a lot about the kids and their friendships. So Miriam came on and really gave us a lot of insightful information. Miriam contributes articles, interviews, and commentary on a variety of topics related to friendships, relationships, mental health, and well-being to such outlets as The Atlantic, CNN, Cosmopolitan, Forbes, The New York Times, Psychology Today, Time, Vogue, and she is also a featured expert for Women's Health Ask Anything series. We were really excited to have her on the Marriage of Martinis podcast, and we're really excited that she was willing to come on to discuss this topic of friendships that Danielle and I are always talking about, always discussing. So listen and enjoy. Thanks. All right. Hi, Miriam. Hi. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that you could join us. So glad we made this work. I know. Thank goodness for, well, Zoom, not Skype. I was going to say Skype, but Zoom because you're in Montreal and we're on the East Coast of the United States. So it is amazing that we can talk. It's awesome. Well, it's been a long time coming, right? So finally we got together. Yeah. What's it been about two, three months we've been trying to make this? We've been trying to work it out. (laughs) And I'm, I'm so interested in the fact, so you call yourself, so you're a friendship expert. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to be a friendship expert? I mean, I feel like personally, I am also sort of obsessed with the idea of friendships. Were you always obsessed with the idea of friendships? You know, I've always been really interested, obviously, in in my own friendships growing up and seeing how friendships can kind of come and go and how they change when we go through different life experiences and how, you know, sharing an experience with somebody can bring us closer together and also drive us further apart. So that interest has always been there. Uh, But when I started Uh, graduate school for my PhD in clinical psychology, 
I knew I was interested in studying relationships and I started to see that there was a lot out there on children and teens friendships in terms of how to help them make and keep friends, but very little out there on adult friendships. Uh, so that was kind of the catalyst for a lot of the work that I've done since is trying to uh, find and, and share kind of evidence-based information about making and keeping friends as adults and trying as best I can to normalize how much of a struggle that can be for so many people. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I have, since we started this podcast, I have heard a lot of women say to me, I'm, I'm struggling to find friends because we always talk about the mom tribe. That's a big thing. You know, the, the, that's especially in social media, the whole mom tribe thing. And a lot of women say, I just, I can't find it. I don't know where. So I do think that the, it, there obviously is a need for what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, on the one hand, I'm, you know, it, it's never fun to hear that somebody's struggling in that area. On the other hand, a big part of me is so happy when I hear that people are open about that because we're so open about how hard it is to uh, you know, meet a potential romantic partner or how awkward dating can be and how tough marriage is. But we really don't talk about how hard friendships can be as much as we do our romantic partnerships. So the more I think we can all do to, again, normalize how how strange and awkward and tough friendships can be, the better off we all will be. Definitely. Yeah, we, we discussed this quite a bit in our podcast, actually. The difference between being having friends as kids or having friends as adults and the difference between Danielle as a, woman, as a woman with her friends and me as a man with my friends, we're completely in the opposite direction of how we feel about having friends. So do you see that? a lot, like the difference between men and women and how they view friendships? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's a really interesting question. And whenever I'm asked, and I'm inevitably asked this question quite often, you know, sure. about your differences, my, my initial reaction is to say that usually the differences within groups far outweigh the differences between. So we really, you know, we like to, to make these, these broad claims about how different men and women are when it comes to any relationship, but also friendship specifically. And while there are differences, we also see a lot of similarities. So there's some research showing, for example, that women's friendships tend to be uh, more intimate and closer. And certainly there, there's some support of that. And, you know, I, I hear that in my work as a therapist as well. I hear these differences between men and women's friendships. But we're seeing more and more that men also have very close, intimate friendships and that they benefit from a lot of the same close experiences or conversations that women do. Right. I want to read two interesting things that I, from your website that I, I would, I love the way they sounded, but I want you to kind of expand upon them if you can. Um, it says it's time we stop seeing our friendship as a luxury and instead recognize them for what they really are a powerful way for us to invest in our well-being, community and growth. And then on a similar facet, you say, um, moving beyond the superficial can make us feel seen and heard in ways that foster true connection, embrace vulnerability, talk about your struggles, celebrate your successes, and share your hopes and ideas for the future. But I want to go back to the wellness aspect of it, because do you feel like a little bit in it, wellness is a, a multi-billion dollar industry now? Do you feel like there's so much focus on physical wellness now and not as much on the wellness of, like you said, these connections, this vulnerability, the struggles that we talk about, that's all part of wellness is being feeling like we can share and be honest about who we are. So do you feel like there's not, we're, we're kind of putting that on the back burner and, and instead focusing too much on the physical well-being of, you know, the the kale shakes and the smoothies and the exercise and 
it, you know, this is, there's so much to say about this. We really, I think, you know, the, the first kind of quote that you pulled there about seeing our friendships as a luxury, again, this is something I see in my work on friendships and in my work as a therapist with clients. It's very easy, and even in my own life, actually, you know, for that matter, it's very easy to put our friendships at the end of our to-do list and to see them as something that we can invest in and, and enjoy once we've ticked everything off, once we've taken care of our kids and our job and our partner and our family, then do we have time for friendships? And of course, all those other relationships and responsibilities are important and, and helpful, uh, but so too are our friendships. And so that was kind of the spirit of that, of that quote is that we need to see them as um, equally important to our other relationships and the other things we have going on in our lives. And the research certainly supports this. So we see, for example, that having good close friendships, and we can talk maybe a little bit later about what that actually means, but having good close friends is so hugely linked with our uh, mental health, with our physical health. So it's not necessarily one or the other. It's not necessarily focusing on our physical health or our relationships. It's really seeing our relationships, especially our friendships, as something that can promote physical health and wellness. And so, you know, I mean, I can happily elaborate on this, but we see, for example, that having close friends protects us from mental health struggles like anxiety, depression, helps us obviously to cope if we're already struggling. But there's a lot of work out there showing kind of the detrimental link between feeling lonely and um, morbidity and mortality, really, and also the protective functions of friendship. So having close friends and feeling socially supported extends our lifespan, it protects us from chronic health conditions. Uh, there, I mean, again, I can go on and on about this, but it's not necessarily one or the other. And when you say best friend, okay, because a cl big cliche in marriage is, oh, my partner is my best friend. And I say that about Adam too. And I think, I think he would say the same about me. Yeah, but, sometimes. Uh, but I, I feel like when we, when we say that, okay, well, my partner's my best friend, so I don't need other friendships because I have him or my sister is my best friend or my mom or what, when we talk about friendships, are we mostly talking about outside? So for someone who says, I don't need best friends. I have my sister, I have my mom, or I have my, my husband, my wife. Um, are we, are, are we focusing more on like, no, we need these other relationships too. So when you say that for the person who says my husband is my best friend and my wife is my best friend, so I don't need others. What would you say about that? Yeah. You know, on the one hand, hearing that, and, and I work with a lot of couples. And so when I hear that, it, it does convey something, right? It conveys a certain amount of closeness. It conveys the fact that not only do you love this person, you actually like them, which is always nice. Uh, you perhaps enjoy spending your time together and doing things as a couple. So all that's well and good. The difficulty is that our friendships really provide us with something unique and something different. And the reason for that is because unlike our relationships with our spouses or our partners or our family members, our friendships are voluntary. So there is no expectation that we have to stay friends with somebody. And we do have that kind of an expectation often in our other relationships. And so we have to continuously choose to stay friends and stay connected to our friends, as do they. And it's that kind of ongoing choice that we make that makes the support we receive from our friends so important and powerful for how we see ourselves and how we see the world and how supported we feel. That's a really great point. The fact that you have to look at it, it's, it's a voluntary thing. You have a choice to be friends with somebody, right? So like with, with us, yeah, we chose to be married, but we're lifelong partners, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I think what you're saying is a really good point. And I've always said, Danielle needs her 
girl friendships. You know, I need my guy friendships. She needs to have a place to get away from me, get away from the kids, get away from her sister, get away from her mom and and have something that's different. Be careful. My sister listens to this and I never say I need to get away from her. That's true. I, I, anybody but your sister. That's okay, what I meant you. to say. Clarifying Amy. <laughs> yeah, but it, you you need those outside influences. You need to be able to go on a whim's notice, go see a friend, go talk to them. Like like she couldn't talk to me, which I get. And I, you know, vice versa. Yeah, he wants me. He pushes me to have Yeah, and, and that'll make less her- Less stress on him. But it's true, but it'll give her a better mental state of mind when she's home with us. Yeah. And she got some relief. She got to, you know, vent. She got to- and then I don't have to hear it. Which is yeah, nice. your, point, your point's well taken, right? That the more we can turn to the other people around us, the less our partner becomes our be all and end all and the less pressure there is on that one relationship or one person, which is very, very important. And it's also true, as you said, that when we're having conflict or you know just a question mark in a romantic relationship, if our, our partner is our best friend, well, then who do we go to? And obviously communication is important, but it's also helpful to get an outside perspective or somebody who's a little less biased. So is that okay to talk about if you're having a problem with your spouse, that's okay to go to a friend and talk to them about it? Yeah, you know, that's a, in some ways a difficult question because I think people vary uh, in terms of their own expectations or values surrounding this kind of an experience. And that's going to be a, a decision that's so hugely personal to the individual, but also the couple. I would say it is very healthy to have other outlets to bounce ideas off of, to get, you know, other, other uh, types of support and validation and to normalize the struggles that happen in marriages and partnerships. So all of that is, is really helpful. And so I do see this as something that's positive as long as both partners understand that this is something that's beneficial as opposed to one person's going behind the other person's back or airing their dirty laundry. Right. That's start to get a little tricky. I think it also depends on the friendships too, because sometimes I'll go out with friends who I know in return will open up. Like, I don't want to be the one who's divulging all our stuff. And sometimes I'll go out to dinner and he'll know, I'll come back and he'll, you know, I'll go out with like one of my best friends and I'll come back and he'll be like, okay, so do they hate me now? Because they, he knows we got in a fight and I'm talking about it, but I, I'm choosing to talk about it with somebody. There are certain people maybe who I wouldn't choose to talk about it with because they're not going to divulge the same kind of information because they're just not as open and honest and vulnerable. But to a friend who I know has shared their shit with me, I'm going to be more willing to, you know, it's a back and forth. So in some sense, I think my, a lot of my friends open up to me because they know I'm so willing to open up to them. And that makes a big difference. It does. And you're talking about kind of one of the most important um, processes that happens in the context of friendships. And that's the idea of self-disclosure. And I mean, that's not specific to friendships. It happens in our other relationships as well. But that process of opening up and sharing things that are important and scary and vulnerable, and this kind of touches on, on the other point that you raised on my website, that kind of vulnerability is how we build closeness and how we build trust in our friendships. And so the more we're able to do that in a healthy way, the closer we're going to feel to the people around us and the more socially supported we're going to feel as well. Mm. 
Yeah. I, I mean, it's taken me a little while to get to that point of being really open with my friends. Uh, but now I, I mean, first of all, they can listen to our podcast and they know all my stuff anyway. <laughs> we can't hide anything. <laughs> we anymore. can't hide anything matter. anymore. <laughs> but no, of course. So I talk to my friend, you know, it, when you're one-on-one with somebody, it's much different. But I do think that that it makes a big deal. It makes a big difference to be able to do that with somebody who it's different to talk to him about stuff than just to another woman who might be going through the same things as I am. So I think it, it's, it's necessary. And would you say we're raising a daughter right now who's 14 and she's definitely very introverted. We've spoken about that before. Um, you know, I do, I do worry about her social connections and she's doing pretty well, but she, it's, it's, a, it's a struggle to get her to foster those friendships. And it's so interesting because I feel like she sees how important friendships are to me. You would think that they automatically mirror that, but sometimes differing personalities and everything. And, you know, she's, she likes to her alone time. And um, what do we tell our, our kids about friendships? And I guess this, this relays, relays back to what you were saying about what makes a good friendship anyway. So even, I guess you would say the same thing, right? Kind of to a kid that you would to an adult about what makes a good friendship. So what, what are we, what should we be telling ourselves about the kind of friend we should be and therefore, you know, modeling that and telling that to our kids? So, you know, I think a helpful starting point is to think about the expectations that we have for our friends and kind of what that solid foundation of a friendship involves. And the starting point is often being consistent and being reliable. So following through on any promises made, show up or call when you say you will, and really be consistent. So we expect our friends to treat us a certain way, regardless of the situation we're in or the people who might be around. We expect our friends to treat us with kindness, whether we're one-on-one or in a larger group. Those kinds of behaviors, we not only want, obviously, our children to kind of um, endorse, but we also want them to be aware of the people around them who might not be treating them equally, depending on the situation that they're in. So giving children permission to kind of um, set their own boundaries and recognize when somebody's not being reliable in that sense or not being consistent in the way they're treating them is so hugely important. There's also the importance of equality. So good friends or good friendships rather are characterized by a sense of balance. So it's a give and it's a take. And both of those things are equally important. We want to make sure that we're supporting our friends and it actually feels pretty good to support a friend in need, but we also need to make sure that our needs are met and that's okay. And so often, you know, I want to say children, but really adults too, are so um, giving with their time and energy and support. And certainly being a good friend takes a lot of time and energy and support. But it's really important that we're also receiving that in turn. Otherwise, we're going to burn out, we're going to become resentful, and that friendship's not going to benefit us in the way that good friendships should. I think there's also our, our, sometimes I'll say to my middle son, sometimes he'll be chasing a friendship, that he'll be trying to become friends with somebody and reaching out to them, constantly trying to get together and they're not getting back to him. And he, he doesn't understand that I keep saying, and I keep saying to him, that's not the friend you want. The friend you want is somebody who you're reaching out to and they're equally reaching out to you. And I, as a kid, maybe the kid is more popular or you, you just don't know. But there, I like what you said about that equality thing, because even as adults, I think sometimes we're trying, we want to fit into a certain group or there's, you know, a group of moms who are having a play date that we want to get in on that play date or it's, and that it, chasing that is probably doing more harm to us than good. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And there's some, I, I always like to quote this study because I think it's, it's one of the more shocking stats out there on friendship that up to 50% of friendships are actually not reciprocated. Meaning I think we're friends and you wouldn't necessarily agree. Wow. And that raises kind of a, a you know, ton of questions, but also potential problems when somebody, as you said, is chasing the other person for whatever reason and not getting that kind of attention or input in return. It can make us feel really badly about ourselves. And it's also robbing us of the opportunity to connect with people out there who do choose us in return and who do want to spend time with us. Right. I know. And that's a big, that's a big thing is that you want to connect with somebody who wants the same thing with you. And I know Brene Brown talks about like trust is in the small moments and everything. So what as friends can we do? You talked about consistency and we all have to cancel sometimes. I mean, we have, especially as moms or if we're working or there's always reasons we have to cancel and sometimes more than we would like. And some of us are better at a keeping plans than others, myself included, not so great at it. But I always say what I, what I lack in that, in the, I'm not so great about keeping plans. And it's nothing personal to the person. It's literally that I just don't have my crap together. So I can't always show up when I say I'm going to, but what are other little consistent things that we can be doing as friends to show that we care, to show that we're showing up and that we want that friendship really badly to continue? Yeah, that's a that's a great uh, a great question. So it is a matter of you know checking in, sending a quick message, giving a friend a call on obviously important dates. So on their birthday or when you know they have an important doctor's appointment, making an effort to show up and let them know that you're thinking of them. But it also helps to check in when it's perhaps inconvenient or unexpected. Because again, if we think back to that voluntary aspect of friendships, the more you can communicate that this is a choice you're making and that it's not a relationship or a friendship of convenience, the more supported our friends are going to feel. So giving, you know, giving a friend a call on a day when you're really busy um, and they know you have a lot going on, but you just want to check in for a few minutes. Those kinds of things really make a big difference. Well, that's actually one thing that you do do well. Yeah. If it's something that it's important, something that's going on, something dramatic in their lives. You're there right away. You're texting like nonstop. No, definitely. They know I'm going to show so up. So they know then. that's why, you know, that's what, I guess that's what keeps the friendship because that's when you're really good at reaching out and they know you care that yeah. they, you know, right. you're being a good friend. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think every friend has their strengths and weaknesses and that's why I also think that, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I, I do say one best friend is not a good idea. Right. I mean, that we have that one. I mean, maybe you have a, f- a friend who you feel more connected to, but it's a lot just like to put on a spouse. It's a lot to put that on one friend. Yeah. I, I have so much to say on the topic of best friendships, because I think on the one hand, it's obviously a very meaningful experience that a lot of people say that they have. And that's wonderful to have that one person that you turn to for everything and who you can always rely on. On the other hand, it does put a lot of pressure, as you said, both on that one relationship, but it also puts pressure for on people who don't necessarily feel like they do have that one best friend and feel like they now need to, or that they should. And it's those shoulds that really get us into trouble. And I always say this, that, you know, having multiple friends can be just as special and helpful as having that one person who fits all of our friendship needs or fulfills all of our friendship needs. So having the friend that we can turn to for emotional support, having the friend that we can turn to, you know, to, to do our shared hobbies or activities with, um, having a friend who's kind of 
uh, you know, has the great sense of humor that can kind of lift us up when we're going through something that's challenging or when we're frustrated with our daily hassles. Those different types of experiences are no less special than having that one friend who does it all. Mm. I know. And and I think for a little while you can sustain having one friend, but then ultimately it's, that person is going to feel overwhelmed. It sounds like a lot of work actually. Yeah, it does. To have that one friend and that's it. I mean, yeah. Constant. It's like being married to another person. It's a constant contact. Right. 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 Um, Yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say there, there is often, you know, the other question I get a lot in addition to the gender differences is this question of, well, how many friends do we need or how many friends should we have? Right. I was going to ask that. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> the research that's out there and kind of what I see again from my own experience as a therapist is that what matters much more than the number of friends we have is our subjective experience of feeling supported. And that can really vary from person to person. So for, for somebody, it might be one or two friends. For another person, it might be five to 10 friends and how they define those friendships can also differ. So it really, what matters much more than, as I said, the, the number of friends we have is how supportive we feel, um, how we rate the closeness of those friendships, and uh, yeah, how satisfied we are with our social network. Is that true for kids too? Because I feel like sometimes uh, my, my kids are all so different, but my, like I was saying about my daughter, you know, she, she might have two or three really close friends, and I maybe am always pressuring her, you you got to meet more people. You have to get out there. And I know she's very introverted and she, it's, it's a friendships have a different, not that they're not important to her. They just have a different meaning and place in her life than they do for me. Is that, is if, if a kid has just two good friends, is that okay? Is, I mean, are we, are we supposed to create environments for them to meet more people? Should we be pushing them to be doing more activities? Because that's a big stress for me. And I know a lot of parents also. I want to expand on that actually, before you answer it, you can break it apart if you want to, by all means, because I wanted to ask you this question too, based upon what Danielle just said about our daughter on, you know, the contrary, our middle son, he's, he's got a million friends and he's chasing more, like she was saying before. And he's, you know, playing sports all the time. He's meeting up with a hundred people, whatever, you know? So how do we, you know, how do we navigate this? You know, because it's the opposite ends of the spectrum here and we're trying to, we're trying to get one kid to be more social, one kid, not that he has to be less social, but he definitely doesn't need more or is he too social? Cause he's spending too much time worrying about how many friends he has or what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the take home point here is really typically that quality matters much more than quantity. And so as long as, you know, our, our children or ourselves are surrounded by good people that we feel connected to, that we feel like we can be our authentic selves with, that's the key. And obviously, our sub, again, our subjective experience of feeling supported, for one person, it might be two or three friends like your daughter. And for another, it might mean that they need a, you know, a larger social group like your son. That's okay. As long as as the decision to not seek out more friends or to seek out more friends is coming from an authentic place. So as long as that's coming from a place of, you know, I'm really feeling like I could use another friend or I'm really feeling like this one area of my life is something that I'd like to share with somebody new, those are great reasons for pursuing new friendships uh, or, or not pursuing new friendships and saying, I'm really satisfied with the way my social group is. Feeling as though we are too anxious to make friends or we're not good enough to make new friends or that we need to consistently add people to our social group because we want to be seen as popular or because it in some way says something about our self-worth. Those are the kinds of motivations that are going to lead us down a dangerous path. So the question of kind of, is it enough? That's really a question of 
why, what, what is, what is your motivation? What is your reasoning behind this? And no one else can really determine whether something is, mm-hmm. if there are enough friends. But if our kid, but, but if our kid genuinely says to us, I'm happy with this amount of friends, we should leave it alone. You know, again, a personal, personal decision, personal parenting decision, and, and you know your children best, but we do also see from research that having even just one friend can make all the difference, again, in terms of reaping some of those benefits for our emotional and physical health. And so it's okay to have a small social network. And it isn't necessarily something that we should be pressuring our kids to do. Again, as long as that we have a sense that that's kind of where they truly feel comfortable and it's not coming from a place of fear. So for the kid or the adult, uh, moms, I think, uh, you know, I guess dads too, how do we make more friends or how do we meet people? What is the, you know, what is the path that we follow to do that? Well, this is why I'm so passionate and curious about adult friendships because for the most part, and Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Obviously, making friends as a teen or as a child can be very challenging for so many people, and I don't want to kind of um, devalue that experience. But the truth is that society is very much structured to help us make friends as youth. So we have extracurricular activities, and we have camp, and we have school. And a lot of those experiences were surrounded by, you know, same age peers who are going through a similar life stage or experience. We have things in common with them. And so friendships are often formed naturally, organically, at least it feels that way. And once we leave school and once we become adults, there aren't the same mechanisms in place to help us meet or connect with new people. And so it's really a matter of stepping outside of our comfort zone. And the first suggestion that I always like to give is to kind of take stock of your existing social network and see if there are any acquaintances that you could then turn into friends. So as a new mom, for example, and I kind of went through this myself recently as a new mom, who do I kind of know who are friends of friends, perhaps, who might be going through something similar, who are open to the idea of making new friends and put feelers out there. And it's okay to ask our friends to set us up with their friends. It's okay to ask somebody out on a friend date. People are really very receptive to that. And it can be awkward and that's okay, but it's, uh, it's often kind of a very good starting place for meeting new people. If that doesn't work, if you've moved to a new city, for example, and you really don't know anybody there and you're starting from scratch, the best advice I can give is to pursue some kind of a hobby or activity or put yourself in a setting where you're going to meet new people with whom you share something in common. And the reason why this works so well is because you know, again, you're going to meet people who share similar interests or passions or values. And it's often similarity that brings us together. That's at least the initial catalyst. So that's really helpful. And it also, you know, we have another reason for being in a situation when we're there to learn a new skill or practice, you know, our, our, our craft, it takes the pressure off having to approach somebody, which in a roundabout way usually makes it more likely that we will. If we go into a situation feeling like I need to be, meet people, I need to make friends, 
that kind of pressure can often backfire and we retreat. So the more open we are to just being in that setting and feeling, you know, kind of comfortable tolerating the discomfort that making friends can bring with it, the more likely we will be to connect with people. Yeah. And we have to put ourselves out there and, uh, and make the time because a lot of people, I think they rely on playdates and stuff because they feel like they don't want to leave their kids in order to find these friendships. Mm -hmm. But in some ways, ultimately you're helping your kids if you go out there and you take the class or whatever, because those people might have kids too. And then you're going to be able to be in a comfortable group with people who your kids can meet in a comfortable setting. Well, I think a point you raised earlier made me think of this too. You know, regardless of whether these people have children of their own that you can then socialize with and organize playdates with, that sends a really powerful message to our children too about how important friendships are to us and that, you know, we're modeling the idea that making friends is 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 challenging, it takes effort, it can be uncomfortable, and that's okay. So that sends a really powerful message to our children, the fact that we're investing in our friendships and in turn investing in ourselves. Right. And I like the idea of going and uh, doing something new and saying to your child, listen, mommy needs to make new friends also when it's not always easy. I like that a lot. We, some of, uh, two of our friends actually, um, we, uh, one of them, we asked them how they met and they're now like best friends. And we asked them how they met. And one of them was like, I literally found out she's a single mom. She's like, I literally found out that this other mom was a single mom who had a kid and I basically asked my friend to set me up with her because we were the only two single moms who had kids, which was a kind of um, probably a really daunting thing to do, to be asked to be set up and maybe a little awkward at the time. But now they're literally best friends. They have a podcast together. It was so worth it. And what was the worst that was going to happen? The worst that was going to happen was the other person was maybe going to not respond or, okay, fine, then you're back to square one. But I think that risk ultimately can probably is going to be more beneficial than not and just go for it like who cares at this point like let's just do it yeah well you know and one of the things that often holds people back from making that kind of a bold move or from making any effort to make new friends or or trying to create more intimacy in their friendships is anxiety right and it's often the fear of being rejected and anxiety of any kind but social anxiety especially happens when we kind of overestimate the likelihood of the worst case scenario happening, which in this case is often rejection, and we underestimate- it's like 8% of what we actually worry about happening actually happens. Right. So normally the, the worst case scenario doesn't happen. So this anxiety kicks in when we, we overestimate the likelihood of that happening and we underestimate our ability to cope. So the more we can kind of expose ourselves and our children to situations where we're able to see that the worst case scenario usually doesn't happen, more often than not, people don't reject us. They're actually very relieved that we've made the first move when it comes to making friends. Mm -hmm. Even if that does happen, even if we are rejected, we can still cope. We can still say, oh, well, that's really too bad. That hurts a little. That stings. But I'm going to turn to the friends that I do have, or I'm going to try again, and that's okay. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about... Uh, friendships that are toxic yeah. what you were gonna yeah, I was gonna, yeah I was gonna go ahead. Up too. go ahead no I was gonna question number one as an adult what if we want to get out of a friendship and also as an adult looking at your children what if you want them out of a friendship even if they don't want to be yeah if you know someone's not a good fit for them or is a bad influence <clears throat> yeah yeah if they if our child likes this person they they have no problems but you're just kind of, eh, I'm not sure I want them to be friends, that kind of thing. So those are my two kind of 
questions that I had in mind. Do you want to go with kind of just what is a toxic friend first? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, because you hear toxic friendship all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I I myself use this word a lot in the work that I do. I have articles that I've written on on identifying signs of a toxic friendship or how to cope with a toxic friendship. This comes up a lot in the workshops that I do and kind of, you know, corporate settings or, or, you know, wellness summits. And so I think it conveys something helpful that really seems to resonate with people. At the same time, I sometimes hesitate to use it because it kind of implies that, uh, you know, we need a, a detox, we need to cut this person out of our life completely, when that isn't necessarily always the case. And sometimes, you know, friendships aren't all good or all bad. There might be aspects of the friendship that that's not working. And you can kind of tweak those while holding on to or preserving the healthier parts of the friendship. So that's kind of my, my you know, opening statement on the topic of toxic friendships. That said, there are signs to look for that we can kind of identify in our own friendships and also ideally speak with our children about that they know either when this is going on or they know what to look out for in a friendship that might turn out. So a big thing to look out for is, again, this idea of inconsistency. So a person is not treating you with the same respect when you're in a group or when you're in one-on-one or they're having a bad day and they take it out on you. And certainly, unfortunately, we tend to take out our difficult days on the people that we're closest too. So that can happen. But what you really want to see is kind of this chronic pattern where somebody's inconsistent, there's a lack of trust, there's been some kind of serious betrayal that's building and the trust is kind of shattered, you know, irreparably, um, or there's ongoing conflict. The other piece of this, though, is that the majority of friendships that I see ending, it's not because there's been some kind of big fight or argument. It's really this kind of gradual distancing or growing apart because we've changed or our friends are changed or we're no longer in a place where we're able to connect the same way that we used to. So that's why the term kind of toxic friendships doesn't necessarily hold for all friendship breakups because the majority of breakups aren't because the friendship's toxic. It's just- Right, you just grow apart. Right. Yeah, exactly. And even again, as I said, even if a friendship's toxic in some way, there are still ways that you can handle it, which I think kind of touches on your point of of what do we do in the situations. Okay. So how, what is the right way to get out of that situation? If you see it, or if you see your child in it, how do we, cause that's, that can be a really scary thing because if the person still doesn't realize what's going on, I mean, do you confront them or do you, cause I think a lot of us just sort of try to ignore the texts and we ignore the, uh, we don't actually want to confront them face to face. It's really, it's a hard thing to say to somebody, I'm sorry. I don't think that it's a good situation for us anymore. Yeah, it is, you know, being assertive in that way makes us feel incredibly vulnerable and it's scary. And we, again, this is one of those friendship experiences that we just don't talk about as much as we do our romantic relationships. For the most part, there's this kind of general understanding that when we're ending a romantic relationship, we do that face-to-face. This is a conversation that we should have. We should not ghost somebody those kinds of very clear expectations aren't there for our friendships. And so it leaves people very unclear of what they should say or do, whether they should have an uh, an upfront conversation. And so there are a lot of kind of remaining or outstanding questions that so many people have when they're in this situation. The advice that I give, and obviously this so depends on who you are and who your friend is and, and struggle that you're going through and your friendship history, how long you've been friends for, have you had these kinds of conversations in the past? I really like to give people permission to have these kinds of conversations. Again, we tend to overestimate how awkward or uncomfortable or painful they're going to be. 
And even if they do end up being that awkward or painful, oftentimes we can cope. And for many friendships, it's actually the thing that either saves it or allows us to leave on good terms. Is right. You might end up having like a great conversation where you're sort of like just dishing it and f- like figuring out why you're having this issue and it could totally save it. Absolutely. And it's not the absence of conflict that makes a friendship close. It's how you move through conflict together and how you use that as kind of a tool for intimacy and connection. So it's okay to have these kinds of conversations. It's okay to say, you know, I was really hurt by this, or I'm feeling like we aren't on the same page when it comes to whatever it is. And how can we make this work? Or I want to check in. It it feels to me like you've checked out. Is that your experience? Questioning those kinds of things can be really helpful because it's so easy to make assumptions about the people closest to us. And it's so easy to assume we know what a friend is thinking when in reality, we might be really surprised by what it is they're experiencing. And that stuff should be done face-to-face, right? Don't text that. Ideally face-to-face. I mean, because text can take on so many different tones. That actually, this actually, this situation did happen to me a few, not a few, but a bunch of years ago already where one of my really good friends was uh, going after a new job and he was wholeheartedly into getting this job. And he and I used to talk once a week or see each other once every two weeks. We, we talked, that's a lot for, for me. So that, that, that's, that's a lot. So I hadn't heard from him. I didn't hear back from him. And I got it. Like I understood. I knew how passionate he was about going for this new thing he was after. And after maybe a month or two, I sent him an email mm-hmm. and it wasn't as easy to meet face to face anymore at this point. And I, I sent the email and I said, Hey, listen, I know what you're going through. I know what's happening. I just want to make sure that we're still good, that we're still friends, that I, I'm not mad at you. I hope you're not mad at me for anything. And he just got back to me and said, I'm so sorry. I know I'm just trying to do this thing. It was over in two seconds and we were friends again, you know? And so it kind of is that easy just to bring it forward and say, Hey, listen, this is what's bothering me. Yeah. Is everything okay? If not, let's talk about it. Yeah. And you know, technology really does have its place. As you said, if you're not living in the same place, if you're on a different time zone, there are a million reasons why we might choose to send an email or send a text initially Right. and being that vulnerable and disclosing about something that's potentially painful is very difficult. So for some people, that's the starting point of, of opening a conversation. That's okay. As long as you're kind of working to minimize the opportunities for miscommunication. So at some point, a face-to-face conversation or, or you know, a Skype or Zoom session mm-hmm. might be helpful to, to clarify where you stand. But it sounds like in this case, your experience was, was kind of very neat and tidy. And that yeah, because there was no, I, I just, I was, I was thinking it was fading because there was no toxic, anything happening, you know, negatively happening between us. So I just had to like get in there and make sure everything was good. And if not, what, what do we need to do? Well, and this is the interesting experience when it comes to our friendships as adults too, right? As a, as a kid or as a teen, if we didn't speak to our friend for weeks or months at a time, usually that would be a very worrisome sign and very strange. Whereas the older we get and the, the busier we are, there has to be these kind of, of flexible ways of thinking about our friendships and we have to have a little bit more room to tolerate those those lapses in our friendships because they're inevitable right okay but then those lapses sometimes just get you know a little bit too much and then it's sort of waiting for that person every six months to send you that hey i'm so sorry text and 
And is that okay? And I guess that's a personal preference because I personally have friends who I'm okay with that with and other friends who I'm not okay with that with, which is not okay. like that's, but, I, but I have certain friends who I've had since childhood that have us, I, I'm a little bit more lenient. Maybe I know them better and I know, you know, my needs are different with them than another friend who I depend on on a daily basis. So. Well, and this is why it's so tough to give advice, right? Because it's so dependent to the right. So yeah. specific. And I work with people again, you know, on the topic of best friends, some people will say this is a friend they speak to every day. And many people will say, I don't speak to my best friend regularly whatsoever, but I know that if I do, or when I call them, they're there and we can go months without speaking. But the minute we do, we pick up as if no time has passed at all. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's really good. I've heard so many times that you, you kind of, you keep your core friendships, your, you know, your few core friendships, but then like every seven years you kind of get new friendships. Is that like, as I think I've said that like four times in the podcast. <laughs> you, hope, you hope it's right. <laughs> I hope it's right. It's, yeah. It makes sense, right? Because sure you're, you get a new job or you're changing, you know, where you're, you're where you live or. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of our friendship groups can be, um, you know, they can be more stable when we're younger. And again, perhaps that's because we are seeing each other every day and, and kind of society structured to help us maintain those friendships. We know that around the time we turn 25, we start losing friends. So that's an area where I really like to, again, work with clients to help them either maintain friendships, uh, preserve ones that are that are really working for them or help them step outside their comfort zone and meet new friends. But if we're losing friends at the age of around 25 and we're going through all these huge life changes, yeah, that's going to make it necessary for us to reach out to new people. And it's also going to foster that closeness as we move, as we start a new job and meet new people, as we become a parent, uh, as we're caring for our aging parents and, and navigating that and perhaps connecting with people over that kind of a shared experience. So it's okay. We shouldn't feel guilty if some of our friendships are you know, dissipating a little bit after a certain amount of years and we're, we're getting new ones. That's, it's natural. It's completely natural. It's completely normal. The more, again, the more we can do to normalize that, I think the, the, the less heartache many people will have because people tend to personalize that or internalize it and see it as I'm a bad friend. I've done something wrong. And more often than not, this is just kind of a normal friendship experience. I would say the starting point for worrying is if you see that this is happening over and over and over again, and you're feeling like this isn't specific to one or two friendships, but I'm having trouble maintaining all of my friendships. Or if you're at a place where you're then not feeling like you have the support that you need and you're feeling that type of loneliness. And loneliness isn't necessarily a function of how many friends we have. Again, it's our subjective. Right, right. So those are the two things to look out for. Is this a pattern? And, and does this say perhaps something about my willingness or my ability to maintain friendships. And there's a lot of reasons why people struggle with that. Or am I just really affected by this experience of losing friends? And is this very painful? And am I personalizing this? And am I not feeling supported? Those are the situations where we might want to intervene in some way. Okay. This is a question um, that I have to ask. I didn't think about it till today, but it's something that we've spoken about a few times on the podcast. And um, I'm sure you're going to say it varies for each couple okay. and everything, but Okay. In, and obviously every, it depends on what, you know, if it depends on um, your sexual orientation, what? I'm getting nervous just sitting here watching no, you try no, to get no. this question out. No, I'm trying to phrase it in the right way because it all depends. Obviously, if you're in a lesbian couple or, you know, a, a homosexual couple, it's all different. But for for men and women, having friends of the opposite sex when you're in a relationship, 
bad idea, fine idea, depends. I just am looking for some kind of a, because for us, we've sort of decided, I mean, neither of us really had good friends of the opposite sex, so it doesn't really apply to us. But there, I think about my brother, for example, who has a lot of best friends who are girls and he's had them for years and his wife is super cool with it. That's one thing, but I, I think it can get complicated. Yeah, it, it can certainly get complicated. I mean, you're not wrong, but I'm going to say it depends. <laughs> right, right, of course. Right. Who our partner is, who the friend is, as long as everybody is on the same page about what this means and that this is a platonic friendship, there, there doesn't necessarily need to be a problem with that. And I think the discourse that we have in, in the media and in obviously movies, and you know, it does a disservice because there's this, this predominant idea that men and women cannot be friends, that there always has to be, or, you know, and I don't want to be heteronormative here, heterosexist, but right. the idea that, as you said, kind of, there, there is inherently some type of um, sexual or romantic component to when we're, when we're friends with somebody that's the gender that we would be attracted to. Sure. Isn't that the uh, quote from When Harry Met Sally? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, that women and men can't be friends. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, Certainly that does happen and, and there is again some research out there showing that particularly men tend to overestimate the um attraction. The attraction, how interested women are in them, even though this might be a platonic friendship. So right. that can get messy. That said, there are absolutely, you know, friendships that are strictly platonic. And as long as we're clear about that, our partner's clear on that, the friend's clear on that. I don't see any reason why those relationships, um, sh we should let go of them, especially when this is somebody that we've been close with for a long time. Well, I was going to say, I think that's different than, I always said, if, if Adam had, you know, a friend, a female friend who he'd had since childhood, that would be completely different. I don't know how I'd feel about him making a new female friend now and being like, oh, by the way, this Friday after I've worked all week and we've barely seen each other, I'm going to meet my new female friend out for dinner. That might be tough for me. Yeah, well, and it raises a lot of questions, right, of, of why. And exactly. the natural tendency is to, again, personalize that. And what is my partner not getting from me that they are now seeking out from this new friend? Yeah. And there might be a good one. That's exactly what I said. That's what I said. <laughs> You're saying the same thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is why we don't have friends of the opposite sex and we're both totally cool with it. Well, then imagine I did go out with a female friend and then our friends happen to be at the same restaurant, see me with another woman that they didn't know about. Now they have to go talk to you about this. This well, is a bad situation. Well, hopefully I would know that you were going out with another female. <laughs> no, what I'm saying oh, is if our friends see us, yeah, right, they start talking. Right? Oh, they start, true, you know, yeah. they got to think about that too. Oh, yeah. See? Yeah, well, this is also why couple friends can be so um, helpful and yeah. why we take so much pleasure from that because Definitely. we get a chance to, you know, interact with new people, make new friends, um, and there isn't the same messiness. Right. Yeah, I think couple friends are, they are really important, right? A couple, the couple friends. Yeah, I mean, it really, it can increase our, our satisfaction in our own relationship for sure. It feels really good to spend time with new people and to have that kind of new energy. Um, we can kind of commiserate and, and mm -hmm. talk about, you know, how 
really hard marriages and that's really good. It also gives us a chance to see potential new coping skills and how another couple is resolving a conflict or a disagreement and, and maybe take some ideas or on the other hand, feel like, okay, we really, this is something that we really excel at as a couple and we see that they're struggling with it and that feels good too, to have some. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of, um, yeah, and coping strategies. Right. And one question a listener uh, who today was actually just happened to text me or uh, message me about was what do we do when we absolutely cannot stand one of our partner's friends? Yeah, this, this is a, this is a big question that comes up quite a bit. You know, the, the starting point for me is often figuring out what is it about this person that I can't stand? And is it, something that they are doing that we just don't like and that we wouldn't choose for ourselves? Or are they doing something that we think doesn't, um, doesn't respect our friend? You know, the, asking ourselves those questions of what is it that really bothers me is a good starting point. And it's also helpful to think about who's my issue really with, because it's very easy to blame the partner when we feel like our friend is not giving us what we need. So a friend starts a new relationship, but they're so invested in this, in this partnership that they're neglecting our friendship. Oftentimes a natural tendency is to blame the partner and say, oh, well, they're taking, they're taking this person away when really our issue might be with our friends. So that's kind of the starting point is clarifying what is my issue? Who is it with? Because that's obviously going to determine who you speak to or how you approach the conversation. You know, more often than not, this does end up being a situation where there's something about the partner that we just feel like isn't a good fit for our friend. The decision of whether you're going to say something is really personal because it does have the potential to backfire. And so as much as possible, it helps to frame it not in an accusatory way, not blaming the partner because our friends are often, you know, will get very protective or defensive in that situation, not blaming the friend, but focus on what you yourself are, are feeling and, and what it is your friends can do to be supportive and how you can better support your friend in that situation. So saying something like, you know, I really miss our one-on-one time. Is there any way we can do that? And, and not necessarily saying that you don't like spending time with the partner. Focus mm -hmm. on the positive and be very solution oriented. How can we spend more time one-on-one? -on -one? How can we have more intimacy in our friendships? I, you know, I, I, we used to do this together or you used to do this kind of a thing and I don't see you doing that so much anymore. Is there something I can do to help you do that? Those kinds of, of ways of approaching the situation are usually the best course of action. But more often than not, people kind of decide not to say anything at all and just suck it up because those conversations are difficult and because they can backfire. Yeah, it's a hard situation. Well, right, tell everybody where they can find you. And um, I, I know you do all kinds of one-on-one -on -one counseling and everything. So let it, So tell everybody... So I work as a therapist in Montreal. I actually only see clients currently in my practice in Montreal. I work with uh, individuals and couples. I specialize in young adults who are struggling in their relationships, obviously, and life transitions, but I work a lot with anxiety and depression. Um, I also, as you said, work a lot with the media as a friendship expert. So that kind of came out of my research that I've been doing. So I do a lot of writing uh, and interviews and all of that can be found on my website, miriamkermeyer.com. I'm also on social media at Miriam Kermeyer. And uh, yeah, yeah like we'll it. put all the links on our uh, website and social media and everything. Definitely. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thanks, thank Miriam. You. That was great. Yeah. Enjoyed I, that. I know. And, and for me, I, I, I kind of like am jealous of what you do because I, I really am fascinated by the whole idea of friendships and I'm like kind of obsessed with my friends. So. I'm going to go get another friend now. <laughs> you should get another friend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get myself up. They need to make a, a store for that. 
a and store. There are apps. That's the other thing. Of we course need. there is, right? Tinder. No, well, Tinder no, is not for friends. Oh. Specific for friendships because believe it or not, people were actually using dating apps to meet platonic friends. And really? that is not working well, obviously, for many, many people. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there are a lot of friendship apps out there now. Right, right, uh, right. Well, <laughs> you meet, go you meet up that. with somebody in a hotel room like, oh, I just want to be friends. <laughs> that could be problematic. But yeah, I know there's a lot of mom uh, apps and stuff where you can like meet other moms in the area. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I have uh, an article written on that if anyone's interested in kind of more specific recommendations of the different apps that are out there because they're really oh, that's right. now moms. You can make friends with other people who like to walk their dogs. So, you know, all these ways of connecting with right. people experiences or interests. That's great. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was so nice to talk to you. Thanks. All right. Have a good night. Thank you. Okay, right. bye. Good night. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com